Welcome to the Zadzooks Happy Hour, a podcast exploring the latest in film, TV, games, toys, and more. And now, somewhere in a secret bunker outside of Washington, D.C., here are your hosts, 30-year veteran of pop culture and entertainment news for the Washington Times, Joseph Zadkowski, and pop culture, technology, and space aficionado, Todd Stowell. Okay, post-auction. Post-Oscars. We did not do terribly well. As usual, but I almost take pride in that at this on this year's stuff. I feel good about only being fifty percent correct, <laughs> and it's right right around where we are normally. So right, so, nobody would have guessed some of this nonsense. All right, let's burn through these quickly. Um, so I won by half a point. Oh, half what a, point. a rip! So uh, best picture, Green Book won it. I got a full point. That's you got scary. a half a point. Lead actor. Uh, Rami Malek, we both had, so we each got a point. Good. Good for us. Lead actress, Olivia Coleman, we did not get any points for that. We both thought it was going to be Glenn Close. Supporting actor, uh, Marishala Ali, uh, I had it, so I got a point. You had Sam Elliott. Right. What a drag. Yep. Uh, supporting actress, Regina King, we, did, we both did not have. Uh, you had the woman from Roma, and I had Rachel Weisz. So whatever. Who, by the way, I just watched that movie. Mm-hmm. She did a very good job. Mm-hmm. She, I would say that she did a better job than the best actress did, mm. without a doubt. Sure. Uh, we both uh, got best director for Roma. High five on that. Yep. Uh, we both got best animated feature for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Uh, you got a point for Black Klansman winning Adapted Screenplay. I picked A Star is Born. We, uh, for Original Screenplay, I got a point for Green Book. You did not. You had Roma. Cinematography, we both were off. Roma won that one. Wow. Film editing, you got a point for Bohemian Rhapsody. I did not. I picked Green Book. Sound editing... Uh, we both picked a quiet place and didn't get it because Bohemian Rhapsody got that, which is a yeah. joke. Yeah, which makes no sense. No, not at all. Sound mixing, you got a point for Bohemian Rhapsody. I picked Black Panther. Uh, production is so. Wait a minute. What was the other topic that we didn't? The two sound ones. What was the first sound one? So the first sound one was sound editing, and that went to Bohemian Rhapsody. Yeah. And sound mixing went to Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. What's? I don't get okay. it. Okay, I don't get it. Production design. We both got a point for Black Panther. Uh, original score. We both did not get a point for Black Panther. <laughs> you, uh, I picked Black Klansman, and you went Mary Poppins Returns. Uh, original song. We both got a point for Shallow. No surprise there. Right. People were like freaking was, out over that live that was performance. The moment. Oh my goodness. People thought they were practically doing it on stage. <laughs> uh, costume design. Uh, I got a point for Black Panther. You picked Mary Queen of Scots. And for visual effects, we both did not get a point for First Man. Joe picked Damn. Avengers Infinity War, and I picked Ready Player One. So I got nine out of the 18 that we did. I got 50%. You got eight and a eight half. And a half. Oh. So you got 47%. Well, good luck. Which is exactly Next how it year. was last year, too. Yeah, it was I, think really I, was, close. I think I beat you by one. So there it is. Well, 
Now you're going to tell me about the new Ghostbusters problems or, or good things? I mean... You sent me something Wednesday night, Thursday night. So Entertainment Weekly, which apparently has some sort of direct line of communication for this stuff, says that um, one of the kids from Stranger Things, Finn Wolfhard, who was yeah. an it, curly-haired guy, plays Mike, is uh, uh, eleven significant other. He was in it. Yes. Why has he got to be in Ghostbusters? He's I already mean, in a big. They franchise. all wore uniforms, and I guess yeah. they saw him wearing it, and I guess oh, they whoa. liked it. He's not going to be a Ghostbuster, is he? Potentially, yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Some, yeah. So originally, the story was is it's a bunch of teenagers. Instead, it apparently it it's ties around a family, and it has some sort of a callback to the '84 movie. So okay. There's some connection there. Maybe it's like Lewis's daughter. Or Dan Aykroyd's living in the barn. Well, <laughs> and so Carrie Coon, who was in Fargo season three, who was the police officer, the female officer. Yeah. She's in talks to play the mother. But they have no announcements on Aykroyd, Hudson, or Bill Murray. Okay. And that they're they're doing, you know, they're casting it now. So it's not extreme ghostbusters it's gonna be something different and i gotta believe it's either it's it's gotta be the family of one of them or somebody who was affected from the first movie right i can't unless he plays no see he's too young i was gonna say he could play dana's kid yeah that's what i was thinking but i gotta believe that maybe that's the husband maybe he hasn't been cast yet, and that's how it's going to relate, is it's going to continue to go after him. Uh-huh. I mean, I'm sure Sigourney Weaver would be in this. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, whatever. There you go. Yeah, there's your there's your one-minute update. Ghostbuster update. Yep. July 10th, 2020. Not a lot of time. <laughs> and they're using all the original methods of filming. What does that mean? Practical? That, yep. No, l- very little CGI. No more super super CGI? Yep. Well, that sounds good. Well, I mean, I think these guys who who are real filmmakers are trying to stick to film. And so they're going to try to shoot it as if they would on film. There'll be some CGI, but I just hope that Slimer doesn't look as bad as he did in the 2016 movie, because that was a right, joke. Right, right. That was awful. Okay. okay. Yep. So you got... Uh, you got a couple movies. Well, I'll do at least one. Okay. Um, Creed Two is coming out this week on 4K and uh, Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Yep. And um, do you know anything about it? Uh, yeah, I do. It has to do with um the son of of Apollo Creed, Apollo Creed, who was killed by. Uh, Go ahead. I don't really... All the Rocky movies blend together for me, so you're going to have to help me out here. So Apollo Creed was killed in a boxing match with Victor Drago. That's okay. Who was played by Dolph Lundgren. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, what a perfect idea for a movie. To have Dolph's kid fight Apollo's fight a, kid. That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Predictable, mm-hmm. but the perfect fit into the Rocky franchise. Yep. You know what? Good movie. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Did you like it? I liked it. Did you like the first one? I did like the first one. Yeah, it was good. I thought they did a good job in this one. Um, what did you think about... Because I would say that in some ways, Balboa is sort of the beginning of the Creed era, right? Yeah. 
where he kind of hangs it up. What'd you think of that movie? Where he's all grizzled and worn out. And, I thought it was good. And Adrian is dead. And he, Isn't, keeps he has a restaurant named after Adrian. Right, and he goes and talks at her grave every day. And he continues that into Creed 1. And didn't he fight somebody in Balboa? Mm-hmm. It and, was, and there's two endings. Uh, the ending I think they used, he lost. But right. there is an ending where he wins by... It's not unanimous consent. It's like on a technicality, he wins. Right. But I think they went with the one where he lost, if I'm not mistaken. They did. Yeah. So um, so Creed Two's pretty great. It's, it's, the, it's at its best uh, for me when, when you find um, Victor showing up to Adrian's restaurant, the Adrian restaurant, and Rocky sees him for the first time. It's just kind of cool mm-hmm. to see those two guys back together. Uh, it's the same formula, uh, you know, the, the big, the big training, it's, it's very much like Rocky Mm three and I'm not just getting, I'm not going to give away anything other than to say that there's a very Rocky three vibe in it on how it goes, plays out. Mm. Um, the guy who plays Apollo is, uh, he was the villain in, uh, Black Panther. What's his name? Um, Michael B. Jordan. Yeah. He's great. Uh, his his girlfriend is great. Uh, Tessa, the girl who's in um, Thor Ragnarok, Tessa yep. Thompson. Yep. Um, all good. The 4K is fantastic. Uh, because they've got this fight choreography really well done. I mean, it just really looks like they're pummeling one another. So, so that's o- kind of cool. The only challenge that I had with Creed One was that his mom is played by Felicia Rashad, who. Every time I see her, I can only think of the Cosby Show. Yeah, she's back. I know. There's she's a lot back. of her. Yeah. I know. I know. I know. I know. Um, yeah. And it's not. There's nothing to knock her. She's a wonderful actress. It's just she was in that program so for long, so long that like she's still typecast. She's still typecast a little bit, and it's like, oh, I feel so bad for you. So no optional commentary track. Weird. Uh, well, then again, you kind of can't understand him at some point. Thirty-five minutes of featurettes. The best one being there's a uh, roundup of the Rocky legacy hosted by uh, Mr. Lundgren. Um, Sugar Ray Leonard stops by to talk and Michael Buffer. Best thing uh, going on is there's also a deleted scene where Rocky eulogizes Spider Rico at his funeral. Who's Spider Rico? Spider Rico is the first boxer that Rocky fought back in the first movie in 1976. And the guy had a nasty headbutt. Hmm. Do you remember that movie? Barely. I mean, barely. Yeah. I don't think... You know, the funny thing is, is is I remember the one where it's like it's like the most famous of the Rocky movies. Which is? I don't know. It's the one where he fights the Russian. Really? Rocky Four is what you remember That's out of the I entire remember. Rocky franchise? Yeah. So him fighting Dolph, a young Dolph Lundgren. Is it Dolph? Yeah. In Four? Yeah, okay. it's the same actor. Okay, yeah, I, I don't really remember that much of it, um, except that it was ridiculous, and they really beat the snot out of each other. Yeah. That one. Well, the the first movie is fantastic. You I, need to I, go I back and watch see, it. I, I think I've watched it, but I just it's been a really long time. So anyway, it's good. Good. And then and then. And I'm sure that they left it open for Creed three. Um. There's no reason there. I, I don't think Rocky officially retired from being Creed's trainer, mm-hmm. but we'll see. I don't know. 
don't know how many more he's got in him. All that standing around money. and looking grumpy. They keep making money. Yeah. I mean, he's making Expendables four, I'm sure. And oh, he, and even in this movie, do you know? Do you know who Brigitte Nielsen plays in the Rocky Four movie? She's like the the wife of. Yeah. He, she shows up. Oh, weird. And and the thing about it is, Victor's been disgraced, so he doesn't even live in the Soviet Union anymore. Hmm. He's like living on the fringes in the Ukraine somewhere. Chernobyl. And and basically, this is his chance to get back with the Soviets. You know what I mean? Hmm. If he could just beat. Adonis Creed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's there, and Brigitte shows up to egg him on, Michael, which is kind of cool. Michael B. Jordan has got the right build. Oh, he's a, a great boxer. looking boxer. Yeah, just I mean, he looked f- very fit in um, Black Panther, and you know, you, right. you got to respect the fact that these guys, when they're going shirtless, they're not wearing uniforms that's that right. have that stuff built in. So that's he's right. working. So you got to appreciate that. And I'll also touch on a uh, classic movie also with Sylvester Stallone in it called Cobra. The collector's edition is out, thank goodness. The uh, 1986 film returns. One of those films that you've quickly forgotten, if you've ever even seen it once. Never heard of it. He is, um, (laughs) this is going to kill you. He's a guy, his name, he's a tough guy named Lieutenant Cabretti. And he's 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 like basically a cop enforcer, mm-hmm. and his tagline is "You're the disease and I'm the cure." So it's right in that area when when you know. Was this before or after Dread? Before, he's basically playing Dread, Dread. without the costume. Oh, hilarious! Um, and he's trying to protect. There's a there's a, a crazy guy called the Night Slasher out there, and he's trying to protect Brigitte Nielsen. Oh. who happened to be his wife at the time oh, in man. real life, okay? 19 months that lasted. Um, well, yeah, probably because the movie was terrible. <laughs> it, was a, it was a blockbuster, but it was critically lambasted for at the time. Well, yeah. Um, and and uh, what's great is the extras. Yeah. They have... They got some of the old cast back together to, to, and they have long, really long interviews with these people. Are they like practically dead and bloated? No, and... no, no, they look pretty good. The best one is there's this 26 minute interview with the guy who plays the slasher, Brian Thompson, and and he just poops all over the movie. He he all of the all over the making of the movie. He 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 talks about. How the cast referred to the director as George Comatose because the guy oh, man. the guy was like passive aggressive. When Stallone was on the set, he would defer to anything Stallone said, right? Because this was Stallone, right? He could do anything. Oh. So it's great to watch. Because he was <laughs> I mean, this guy never had much of a career, right. but and he spends the first five minutes talking about being in Terminator. And I can't remember what part he played in Terminator. But it was Brian Thompson. Brian um, Thompson. And speaking of comatose, there's a, a 1970, 1997 optional commentary track with a director who kind of sounds like he's nodding off at times. It's <laughs> that's the best part of the, actually this movie is listening to the extras on the package. I don't remember what movie I watched, but it's one in my collection. It's an older movie, and I went back and looked at the special features, 
and the director was on oxygen and you could hear him oh like, my he, God. like he had COPD or something. And it was like, oh, this is just not worth it. Well, this guy is like a narrator for deaf people because he'll, he'll actually say things like, uh, in this shot, uh, the sun is coming up. Wow. <laughs> That's his optional commentary. Wow. So Good for him. Take that. Okay. But it was all right. All right. Well, so, we have exciting stuff to come back to. Sure. We, we took quite the field trip and, yep. and had a lot of fun. So it'll be part one of, I would say, three. Yes. Um, and we're not going to tell you what it is until you come back. Sure. So. Be back. Come back. Communities Digital News, built by the writers and editors that deliver the news 24 hours a day. Visit comdiginews.com. That's C-O-M-M-D-I-G-I news.com. And support the next evolution in news. All right, I'm very excited about this. Are you, are you excited? I'm pretty excited. Yeah. I, it's more than I've played a video game in a long time. Yep. So last week, Joe and I were invited to attend the press preview of Tom Clancy's The Division 2, Two. here in D.C. Right. And the reason it was here in D.C. is because unlike The Division, which takes place in New York, New York, The Division 2 takes place in Washington, D.C. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about the the not necessarily the gameplay but maybe the overall look and feel sure. uh and and the experience of what they came up with yeah for Ubisoft they so, basically um deconstructed DC flooding pandemic post apocalyptic yep and uh you're essentially you play an agent and you must uh you're work a- you're agent of the division yeah you must work with other agents to basically reassemble the government and protect the citizens. Now, in the Division One, uh, you're also a division agent because there is a, a pandemic, right? That happens and decimates New York City. In the second division, it's spread, right? And as a result, um, what did he say? It was like seven months later. Seven months later, se- around seven months later. As a result, you receive a distress signal from Washington, D.C. and realize that there are there are four different levels of bad guys that you have to go through. And I don't remember all the names. One of them was the Hydra. Um, and the essenti- b- Black Tusks. The Black Tusks. Hyenas. Are, are the, yeah, the Hyenas. That's right. Hyenas. Hydra. Um, that's in Avengers. <laughs> Shield. Shield. <laughs> um and uh, so you you establish a base at the White House, which has been evacuated and is now a base for the division. And you are to slowly work your way through D.C., knocking off these enemy factions to try to restore the government before the government falls. And as a result, the United States falls. So the the really interesting thing that they did is essentially from DuPont Circle around uh the commercial districts all of the the government buildings the public spaces the museums i think all the way down to the waterfront they created a one to one uh replica of DC so if you know DC you can walk down the street you can walk by your offices if you happen to have an office in D.C., 
You could walk by your house if you happen to live in D.C. You know what I didn't look for? The exorcist steps. Don't think, well... Do they go to Georgetown? They're in Georgetown. I, I think that when we played, we were skipped ahead a little bit. Okay. Because we didn't start in Georgetown, remember? We were at the White House. Right. But I think the game starts in Georgetown. Okay. So the, re- so the game starts because during the pandemic, um, as people were getting ill, the most ill people were being shipped to Roosevelt Island. And they were using the National Mall as sort of a staging area. And in order to have the game seem realistic, they actually worked with people within FEMA and other people who deal with disasters to try to educate them on what would happen in the event of a pandemic and how the public spaces would be used. So they really attempted to invest a lot of time into the realism of what things might look like. Right. You know, post pandemic and also perhaps as part of it, you have a lot of infrastructure that's left. Um, a lot of Jersey barriers. There's a bunch of overgrow. I mean, it really does give you the sense of a post post apocalyptic Washington DC, but to get back to the one-to-one comparison, they use the combination of, Google Maps, Google Street View, um, GPS, and they also sent an entire editorial team to D.C. to capture photos for what they couldn't find in their research so they could replicate D.C. in a one-to-one. And for the buildings that you're in, I played a game, played the game next to the guy who designed the ceiling tiles inside Union Station. Really? Yeah. And he was like, Dude, how do these look? You know, sort of because apparently what's also really weird is these guys haven't been to D.C. before. So they completely designed the game based on photos, based on photos and right. research, which was good and bad. Now, you're going to tell me why it was bad. So which is interesting, really interesting. So there's a main mission inside the National Air and Space Museum. And the layout of the building is pre-renovation, which would be four or five years ago in the main hall and they have a space shuttle there which there is no way in that museum on the mall they could ever fit a space shuttle there okay they were they were really dead set that oh the last time we were here there was a space shuttle no it's never been there right it's out by the airport okay and a different air and space museum that's also a smithsonian museum but a different place so the building looks the same some of the exhibits are in the yep. same place. Some of them are in a different place, but it's still the same stuff. The space shuttle is wrong, like just dead wrong. But it's a cool set piece. And, and we're going to put a little bit of B-roll footage up online yep. of the, what happens to said set piece, yeah. which is pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, there's a mission that I think you played with. Yeah, we played together where you go into the National Archives and rescue and you the, rescue Declaration the Declaration of, of Independence, Independence, which, you know, and then apparently they can neither confirm or, or deny that, that there may be an Easter egg with Nicolas Cage as one of the bad guys, <laughs> a la National Treasure. I think they were being silly. I but. think they were not at liberty to say, but they also said it wouldn't surprise them if one of the designers did it. Okay. And they said, you should go back and look. Oh, that's cool. Um, it was definitely a different experience for me to play with the guys who created the game because they also were like, oh, hey, go over here. There's a loot crate right here. Uh, So they were kind of like 
Yeah. Helping me out a little bit. Um, it's a very fluid game again. It's very easy yeah, to I, appreciate. Yeah. And, you know, they were making recommendations on the right kind of weaponry to use. or like, right. you know, how good are you with point and shoot games? I'm like, I'm all right. I'm, right. Not, I'm not the greatest. And they're like, well, get this. It'll be really good. Uh, get this weapon. This is going to be great. You know, you're going to have a good time with it. We did venture into downtown, downtown, downtown DC near the museums, and immediately were like Wiped ambushed because yeah. we were we were very underpowered. So the game plays about forty hours if you want to go from start to finish, probably more. Right. I think Easily. they said that they've committed to two years of very updates. frequent updates, minimum. Right. Um, with Daily, weekly, and monthly challenges. I think they said monthly core updates. I mean, they're putting a lot into this, and I think they're spending a lot of right. money on this. I got to interview a couple of people, so I think for this week, I- I'm going to switch on you. Um, uh, we'll run the interview with the creative director of the game, mm-hmm. since we're just introducing the game, and his name is Julian Igerty, and uh, I don't know where he's from. He could Sweden. be Sweden or somewhere, uh, but he goes into a lot about the making of the game, their passion for making the game, and about kind of the future of video games and how they're laying out these days. Yeah. That you no longer just pop in a disc and it's a one-time event. You can now last I mean, for it's a, a long one, time. It's a one-time event to download it because it's probably going to be 30 yeah, gigs. Yeah, it in itself is an event. Yes, because you want to play it the, that same day and you really have to wait until the next day to play it, I've noticed. It's just how it always is, you know? At least for me. Well, you got a slow connection. I just get really impatient. You know what I mean? Like, I want to play, and it just, you know, takes a long time. And and also, we should mention that there's street art in the game, Mm -hmm. which is really bizarre. I'm not quite sure what the function of that is, other than to highlight artists that usually don't get highlighted. Yeah, I, I, I think... Listen, I think that they are trying to pump such a level of authenticity into this that they're literally hiring local street artists to create murals that they can apply digitally into the game. And we talked to uh, Kelly Towles at his studio just Mm -hmm. a little bit to see. But the the thing you pointed out was if you're in a situation where you're basically in a war zone constantly, Mm -hmm. the chance of you actually taking time with spray paint cans to put together street art, especially as elaborate as this stuff is, mm-hmm. is probably going to be slim to none. Now, one could argue that maybe that street art was always there. there okay, I'll but, argue that. But, like, there's also graffiti that was created for the game. Yeah. And I got to believe you got you got better things to do with your time than go around yeah. tagging things. And ducking bullets. Yeah, I just, so. I don't see it. Um, all right, so let's go ahead and queue up the interview. Yep. And uh, we'll go from there. Yep. So we're here with somebody who I'll butcher his name immediately. <laughs> so I'm going to let him introduce himself. I'll try not to butcher my name. My name's uh, Julian Garrity, uh, and I'm the creative director on Tom Clancy's The Division 2. So tell us where we've been. I haven't, uh, 2016, I played the game, and when a friend asked me about it, I said, Oh, yeah, I played that game a long time ago. I thought it was really cool. It, it, the first game was set in New York. Right. It was a contemporary New York. Around Christmas time, the streets were covered with snow. But it was a New York that was very different from the one that we know today. It was uh, completely transformed by 
a uh, virus being let loose there. And it was this situation of chaos that you were trying to stem and to regain control and to take back the city. And that was really the first game in a nutshell. Right. And then three years later, you guys went into production. How soon after that game had felt it was done? That, that's a great question because the, the game... When we launched it in 2016, we continued working on it and updating it and improving it. Uh, so we, I mean, we worked on it for three years. And uh, in parallel, we started working on the Division Two about three years ago. Okay. And now where does Division Two take us? So from the snowy streets of New York, we're taking you to uh, the nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Uh, we're changing the season, so it's uh, now summer. And obviously, because there are no essential services, no fire service, no police, no hospitals, the city is completely, completely transformed. Uh, there's been flooding. Uh, there's no solutions to the flooding, so that water is still there. There's dirt uh, everywhere. There's uh, looting that's uh, gone on in the city. It's a very different Washington, D.C. than the one we see outside the window today. And uh, I'm going to play the game. Who am I and what am I trying to do? So you play a division agent. And a division agent is very different from other Tom Clancy heroes. This isn't a uh, super soldier. This isn't a special... Super spy. Super spy. This is, this is not... This is not your average soldier. In fact, it's not a soldier at all. This is you or me uh, with training, with equipment, but somebody who's decided to make a difference, to run towards the danger instead of, where, of uh, away from it. This is the last line of defense when something like this happens. So that's, that's something that's very important to, to me. It creates a, a real difference between this game and a lot of the other games out there. And your mission in Washington, D.C. is going to be threefold. First, it's to find your base of operations, and that's going to be the White House, and upgrade that. And that really represents your powers, your, your equipment, your efficiency out on uh, the battlefield. The second thing is we're going to ask you to find civilians. And the civilians, for me, uh, the lifeblood of the city. The, these are the people who represent a better tomorrow for, uh, for, for the world, for, for the nation. And it's by helping these civilians that you'll be able to ensure that that can happen in the future. The third thing is that the streets are being torn apart by factions. And it's pushing back these factions, trying to regain the city street by street. So uh, all in all, you've got your work cut out for you. So you guys rebuilt D.C. one-to-one, yes. deconstructed it, if you will. Um, any blowback or pushback from D.C. on what you were doing and how you're going about it? I, I don't think so. I, I think this is, a, uh, this is a fiction. This is like a disaster movie. Sure. So, uh, you know, it, it's part of the pleasure of watching a, a Godzilla movie, seeing Godzilla you know, stomp around Tokyo and destroy the city. Here we, we've got this beautiful city and we're transforming it. We're deconstructing it, as you said. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful way to see it. Uh, I don't, I think this is so much a work of fiction that you don't need to see much more. It's so beyond. It's so fantastical that you're not going to 
uh, get somebody at the a Smithsonian official mad because you blew up a space shuttle or did something. Hope not. That, <laughs> um, so I was playing some of the gameplay and, and trying to remember how much I enjoyed Division One, and I walked into a little orange circle that was a, uh, a flashback or a memory flashback. Mm. Those are so intriguing to me. How do you come up with that stuff and... And you added it to this game, right? And mm-hmm. it, it's, it seems equally important. What is that doing for a player? So the, the, the circle, the orange circle, is on the equipment that the agent carries, you carry as an agent, that gives you this situational awareness, uh, the information that you need on the battlefield. It helps us in terms of gameplay, supply the signs and feedback that you need as a player to right. be able to, to perform on the battlefield. But it's also your your onboard computer called Isaac uh, that helps you identify some threats, some contamination. It it serves to to provide narrative cues as well, and it's a very visual and iconic uh, thing too. As soon as you see a watch with that orange circle, you know you're talking about the division. And what's what's great is uh, let's take it further. You, you will you'll actually walk into areas where you see three three-dimensional constructs of previous memories mm. those are the ones that really caught my eye because you're 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 cleverly telling a narrative that some people will avoid but people like me will just dive into because they just look so good what is that doing P- people like you and me because i love that stuff uh, what you were talking about there is an echo and then yes. echo is a, a sort of memory of the city a memory of a certain point in time that we can use to tell a little bit of the, the story of the fall of Washington, D.C. And those are, are one of the narrative tools that we have because fundamentally telling a, uh, a story within an open world, non-linear game that is co-op focused is very, very challenging because you know, you're setting a, a very strict set of parameters to be able to tell that story. So echoes, collectibles, are incredibly useful to build up the story and build up the world. Some of the echoes that you saw talk about characters that are incredibly important within the game. But you may not discover that straight away. Maybe, you know, five hours later you'll meet the character that you saw in the echo and you'll, you'll create a link between them. So we're, we're not telegraphing everything to you. We're leaving you to put the pieces together a little bit, too. I find those incredibly effective. They're mm-hmm. really fun to have happen. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the current state of video games briefly. When I started playing, they were a disc or a cartridge. Yes. There was a finite amount of play value in it. Yes. So that if you were playing that, that side-scroller or something, maybe you could invest five hours in it. Now you guys are tasked and either exhausted or frustrated by it with creating worlds that must exist, in theory, for years. Mm. There's, a, there's an infinite amount of possibilities you can offer based on the technology you're using now. Mm. Mm. Game downloads, additional mission packs, mm. blah, blah, blah. It's really it takes a player and they never end. Mm. How hard is that? I, it depends on how you see it, because I, I, I do believe 
that I have the best job in the world, right? And my job is to create visions and experiences and lead teams to create those things. It's not a two-hour film. No, but that's the magic of it. That's right. the that's that's why I'm so fortunate as well. Is that I love this type of universe. I really love this type of universe. I've been working on the division for five six years now. It it's it's where I want to be. It's the stories I want to tell. It's the world I want to build. And I don't mind being in this world for ten more years. You know, it's it really is one of my passions. It may not be for everyone, you know, some person might want to work on this and then move to a, another type of game, but I love this game. I love this one. What's sustainable? When can you call it quits? How long did Division 1 offer new mission packs, and what are you expecting on this new game? Uh, the Division 1 still has a million people playing every week. Wow. So, they're still very, very popular games. Uh, the Division 1, I think we stopped creating content for it not too long ago. So, it took three years worth of content uh, delivered after launch. But it's great to be able to support a game post-launch. And if a team gets fatigued, that's something in terms of management that we have to be very careful with. But to me, it's part of the excitement of running these games as well, is to be able to, to add things, correct things, tweak things. Uh, it, your, your point about games and game launches being finite, it's a great point. But those games remain static. They don't go anywhere right. afterwards. Which, for me, I'm kind of happy that we're in this, this new era where we can look at a game and make it evolve and add things to it. And and grow with the audience that, that we still have. I think it's an incredible opportunity. From a techn technological standpoint, yeah. uh, visual presentation, we're now at you know 4K. Mm. Um, where does Division 2 lie in there? Is it a pure 4K game if you have the right PC? Absolutely. 4K, 60 frames. What happens seven. when it goes to 8K and 12K? What I worry about is how much can the human eye absorb anyway? And how realistic can you make a game look before you, you feel uncomfortable with it? Do you know what I mean? Uh, I, think, I think it's a super interesting question. I, I've always wondered on the impact of a timeless piece of work uh, in terms of its graphical fidelity. Uh, for me, if you look at things like Res or uh, Virtua, uh, race, uh, all the virtual games that Sega did for Dreamcast and, and co-op and cons uh, what are those called? Um, arcade machines. Yes. Uh, those had such a style that they're almost timeless. Right. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. It's it, it's like a 2D side scroller from Nintendo or from from the Genesis days. Right. Uh, those are gorgeous, like moving cartoons, 60 frames per second, super fluid. If you remade those today, you'd only get a slight graphical bump. Right. With games like this, they're super photorealistic. So are they a product of their time? Possibly. But I do know that The Division 2 was built with future upgrades of PCs in mind. So it'll continue growing and get better, getting to look better the more equipment gets better as well so I'm not too worried for the next few years but afterwards it's a great question about style and timelessness um, last question uh, 
probably impossible to answer since you've been on this game so long and had such a focus. What's your what What's your favorite part of it? What do you want players to really take away? I don't think it's a hard question at all because there, there are definitely parts of the game that I'm super attracted to as a professional, but also as a as a player. Mm-hmm. For me, without a doubt, it's the construction of the world. What we went through in the presentation today and taking a location and looking at it through the lens of what it was used for, what it could have been used for during a disaster situation, and then transforming it again with the, the sort of natural history of seven months of deterioration, I, I adore that exercise. That is really my jam. And that's what they'll, they'll get to see. I hope so. That's right. Yeah. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much. All right, so... That's so what were you saying about Hellboy? The new trailer broke. The new trailer broke. It's much better than the first trailer. Yeah, I was excited, and they played some great trailer music for it. Yeah. Um, David Harbour's, whatever they did to him and his makeup just looks weird. His face looks weird. The way I don't know what it is. Like purport- Maybe you're just used to the first guy doing it. No, he just looks... It, it looks like his mouth... But, like, the rest of him doesn't look right. right. I, and I can't place it. Here's my worry. This looks an awful, light, like, an awful lot like Hellboy 1. He's got the flaming yeah, crown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is this a remake? Yeah. Because if you remember, there's a scene in the beginning where the baby Hellboy comes out mm-hmm. after, after it okay, being so it is, it is conjured. A, it's the first. They're redoing the first movie. And then they introduce Hellboy's father, who's played by somebody else now. Okay. And I'm telling you. That's a big no-no for me mm-hmm. because the first Hellboy was was solid gold. Yep, William Hurt was his father, I think. Yep, it was so well done. I mean, Selma Blair was yeah, in that. Yeah, how are you going to beat that? You can't beat that. It's not going to happen. Well, the gu- the guy who's his father, and and I can can't never, remember his name. I can, I can no, see his face. I can never remember his name. He is in John Wick one and two. Yep, he runs the hotel. The hotel. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. Um, I'm excited for it in the sense that I want to see David Harbour's take on it, but I can't get over that the makeup looks weird. But how much is it a David Harbour take? He's he's still kind of confined to the makeup, and he's confined to saying smart-alecky lines. Yeah, but David Harbour's got a way of delivering his smart-alecky lines in Stranger Things that I think is a little bit more stinging. So we'll right. see. I mean, it could be a bomb. Who knows? It's it's just, you know, it looks cool. It looks it, it looks like present day CGI has caught up to it. Yeah. But I still think the other one holds up really well. I do too. So we'll see. We'll see. Um box office anything? How to train your dragon barely beating out the final Medea movie, Tyler Perry's Medea at a funeral. So did you see Lego Movie 2? Mm, my kids did. Okay. It's not doing that great. Yeah, they they liked it, but it wasn't this. Immediately, they're like, when can I watch Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse? Ah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They've moved on. Well, I I will tell you this, and this is perhaps going to be a problem with the Lego movies. Kids move on from Legos when they hit about 11. Absolutely. Because my kids, 
they're have on a bunch have a bunch of Legos that they haven't built and they're still in boxes. Wow. And it's like, oh, okay, I guess you're kind of done with up. this. And it took them a long time to make the sequel. What did it take them? Five years? Yeah, you can't go that long. You can't go. It's the same thing with Minions and Minions 2. Minions probably has a, a core younger audience and can get away with it. Right. But I got to believe that they kind of shot themselves in the foot. Now, granted, Phil Lord and the other they got guy. got booted off of Han Solo, right? Yeah. Okay. Who, who did, who wrote Deadpool, helped with Deadpool. Did the Lego Movie one yeah. and two, and did Spider Man into the Spider Verse? Well, they're now Oscar winners, and they can do whatever they want. That's true. So, but they got booted off of Han Solo. Is that right, or is that two other guys? Mm, I don't remember. Okay, well, I just because like you know what Han Solo, I just checked out when they when they switched directors, and then what? Who did? What did? What did I tell you? Where is James Gunn going? Yeah, he's he's. You know, what, what What always used to be fun in the 60s and 70s for comic book companies is watching the artists flip. Mm-hmm. Like Jack Kirby, at one point he got so fed up with Stan Lee, he flipped to DC. Mm-hmm. And guess what? James Gunn has flipped from Marvel after being ceremony, unceremoniously dismissed. He is now doing... The second Suicide Squad. Well, no, they're now they're now saying it may not even be the second. It might be a reboot. A reboot because Will, Will Smith, Smith is not coming back. Um, uh, Margot Robbie's got her own Harley Quinn movie, but yeah, I mean, but then what's? I don't know. What's it's, the it, point? It just says it. Listen, I think if anybody can give give some life into that thing and make it fun. Oh, he'll he'll do it. He can do it. But boy would it be a lot better if he had and Will Smith says he can't do it because of scheduling issues. Phil Lord and Christopher Miller were replaced from the Han Solo. Han Solo. And then they went on to win an Oscar. There you go. Put that in your pipe yeah, and smoke in your, it. In your face, Disney. Walt Disney. So also I what I didn't realize was that Spider Man into the Spider Verse is not a Marvel property. It's Columbia Pictures. It's Sony. Sony still holds Spider-Man. Yep. They haven't given it up yet. Yeah, it's Columbia. So they'll do another... And they, and they didn't do it under Sony. They, did it, under, a, they did it under Columbia Pictures, which do is another, even weirder. They'll do another Venom. They'll squeeze yeah, another will, Venom, Venom out of that. Venom 2 is definitely coming out. And they're going to squeeze another Spider-Man that we already know of. Yeah, the but, new Spider-Man is under well, Sony far, still. Far, yeah, but I thought it's co-branded. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, Far From Home... Right. I'm excited for that. All right. That's it. We packed the show. You got anything else? Didn't think we can do an extra and we squeeze just, in more. I want to I want to again thank the Ubisoft people for having us. Yes. That they're was, very nice people. That was very nice. Uh, I've never played a video game that much in my life. And to have the guys who actually built the game <laughs> sitting there. The setup was great. They had a. They were definitely loading in different scenes for us. There was a guy standing behind us who would help us if we were stuck. Yeah. Eventually... A bunch of you guys took off to do interviews, and it's just me in the room with the developers playing the game, and, and I'm like, where is everyone? And they're like, I don't worry about it. Just keep playing. Well, that's key, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. I played four hours the of the game. The only problem with that is I'm going to have to get the game and start over. Yes. That's going to bum me out big time. But I also think we missed a lot of lead up to it. Uh, intro and stuff? Mm-hmm. Um, we will talk more about that. So The Division 2 comes out March, March 15th. 15th. Um, we will likely have gameplay updates in two weeks. Yep. 
would be my guess. Hopefully, we can squeeze some video up on the site. Yep, we're we'll gonna let you know. We're gonna get you some of that, some of the images as well. And next week, we're gonna dive in a little bit into environment, the environment specifically, the locations, memorials, memorials, and things like that, yeah. and sort of the thinking around that with our second interview. So thanks again, thanks to those guys, and we'll see you next week. Bye.